Welcome to the Fair Talks podcast, where we educate everyday people for extraordinary change. I'm your host, Alicia Chan, Executive Director of Fair Trade LA, a community of business members, nonprofits, and fair trade enthusiasts driving proactive, sustainable solutions for a fairer world. I'm also a social entrepreneur with a passion for ending poverty and creating dignified jobs. Together, we'll explore how fair trade changes lives and communities and what we can do to address some of the world's biggest problems right in our own homes. Let's dive in. Fair Talks is brought to you by Fair Trade USA, the organization that brings you the Fair Trade certified label. Fair Trade USA is committed to building an innovative model of responsible business, conscious consumerism, and shared value to eliminate poverty and enable sustainable development for farmers, workers, their families, and communities around the world. Have you wondered where the fruits and vegetables that you buy at the grocery store comes from? Did you know that the mangoes we pick up from the grocery store directly impacts the farmers that grow them? I'm excited for today's conversation where we're going to learn all about the people behind the produce we buy every day. So I'm excited to have with us today, Natalie from Fairtrade USA. Welcome. Hello, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So a little bit about Natalie. She has an impressive background. Natalie Marin Gist is Senior Director of Producer Services at Fairtrade USA since 2013. Growing up in the fair trade world on the farm support side, Natalie has trained thousands of workers and growers on fruits, vegetables, and rose farms throughout the Americas, helping them achieve and maximize the impact of fair trade certification. She then pivoted to lead the exploration of bringing fair trade to agricultural production in the global north and help certify the first fair trade farm in the U.S., Natalie has dual bachelor's degree in anthropology and international business, as well as a dual master's degree in development policy and business administration. She was born in Mexico City to a French and Spanish family and grew up in both Mexico and California. Besides fair trade, Natalie is passionate about family, cultural experiences, and learning. You have so much great experience. Is there anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> That's very nice. I will add in my past life, I was a Spanish interpreter. So I've also been in and out of jail over a hundred times, interpreting for lawyers with their clients and in court and workers' comp hearings. And that's actually where I first started to learn about the plight of the farm worker by interpreting in different court cases or medical appointments and learning from, from that side. Yeah. That's fascinating. I feel like that's a great podcast in itself. <laughs> it's interesting to be a fly on the wall in courts and in all kinds of wow. places. Yeah. I guess one other thing I'd add is that um, now in my current position, I lead our work in all of our commodities. So I started in the produce and floral world and agriculture and then um, learned more about seafood. And now I'm supporting the, all the industries where we work. So different agricultural commodities, including coffee, consumer packaged goods, seafood, and our factory program as well. Wow, that's incredible. Thanks. There's so much information in that alone. We're not gonna do it justice with this one conversation, but we're gonna try. We're gonna try to learn more from you. First, tell us how your passion for fair trade came to be. How did it all start? Well, it's a good question. Even before I was an interpreter, I was always very interested in fair trade. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I liked it. I knew there was something there that I had to dig into further. 
I've realized also it's kind of been my natural path where, um, you know, you mentioned the degrees that I studied. I haven't been able to choose one track because I really like anthropology and humans and development. And I really like business. Ultimately, what that leads to is understanding business and operations and the structural angle to help also get to certain goals that you have, which I realized once I learned more that that's fair trade. And then I ended up uh, earning, winning an internship at uh, Fairtrade USA one summer when I was still finishing a master's degree and learned what Fairtrade was directly from producers themselves. I, I called 50 different co-ops, talked to many different producers and heard from them what Fairtrade was, the impact, and it was confirmed. I was hooked. Since then, started to realize, okay, well, look at this. My own life path and interests have brought me here and you know, nine years in, I'm still a big fan, still learning every day. One thing that I love that you shared in our earlier conversation before the podcast is that you're bringing your policy side, your structure side, and the business side, and that all together forms fair trade. And I yeah. love that. So I, I, would, I would guess that most of our listeners are familiar with the fair trade logo or the fair trade seal, but have no idea what producer services at Fairtrade USA means. So can you tell us a little more about some of your responsibilities and like what role does producer services play in the big picture of the Fairtrade movement? Well, thanks for the question. First of all, I love that our, our department can get some more uh, time, airtime yeah. on this because <laughs> yeah. we're usually you know in the background there. Essentially a producer services team, the department that um, I lead and lucky enough to work on with many international colleagues is the team that helps with that implementation of the program on the ground in the field. We work with uh, farm workers, factory workers, and the producers themselves uh, up to exporters as well. Anybody that's out there in the field um, at origin, we're there supporting. I've recently come up with an analogy I've been working on in terms of what the producer services team's role is in the bigger picture of fair trade. So I was talking about, you know, fair trade can be this conveyor belt and all that. A different way of looking at it is we've essentially written or fair trade as, as a movement, not just fair trade USA, of course, fair trade international starting out, you know, in the fifties, forties, sixties, it's a recipe for impact essentially. Mm -hmm. And what happens though, when one hands over a recipe to different audiences, you hand over a recipe for banana bread, for example. Well, some that maybe, you know, are experts in cooking might skip some steps and pop out some amazing banana bread like the recipe intended. You give it to someone else and maybe they don't even have a stove. Maybe they're not used to cooking with these certain ingredients or the processes described. Results from the same recipe can be different. What Fairtrade wants to do is we have a multi-stakeholder you know, um, process and an engagement to build what that recipe is. And then the idea is for it to be followed as best as possible, where of course, everybody has their own journey along that path, but we want to get to those results. We're saying, hey, this is some of the best banana bread around. So your banana bread should come out, you know, like we intend or like it's intended with this group collaboration and creating the program. Producer services comes along and we're essentially the Julia Child of that French cooking being brought into American households, helping folks understand, here's a recipe. Maybe some folks already have a lot of systems and international programs that they're complying with. Maybe other producers, this is their first foray into this realm. And so 
there's different levels of support, different levels of tools and resources that can be provided to help guide the producer, the partner um, along that path, that recipe for impact. So we're there supporting mainly in three areas, right? Capacity building to help folks understand what's the intent of the standard, what's the intent of the criteria, the intent of the outcomes of what we're, you know, trying to do there with that recipe. Mm -hmm. What should that banana bread be looking like and why? Mm -hmm. That's a big part of what we do is helping folks understand the whys and, and how it makes sense for them as well. So building capacity, creating collecting, communicating information and support for impact creation. We, you know, support through our capacity building as well as helping to identify what's happening and bring back those insights to the organization, passing them along also to our market partners or other audiences like consumers um, that might not know what's happening. And we bring up information, those insights about risks, challenges of implementing the program in different ways. And all that then gets fed into the third piece of, of work that we do, um, which is calibration. We support with calibration of the program from that subject matter expertise in the field, having collected all those insights and understanding, we help internally continue to build our program, to calibrate it. Um, there's a lot of calibration also that needs to happen between the different teams how auditors are interpreting criteria needs to be aligned with how we're understanding it to train producers in the same way. There's a lot there. And, you know, we are the connection to the field. And so there's a mm -hmm. lot, even with our technology and communications that yeah. we represent. So that's, that's really that connection and support wow. back to the field externally and internally. So it's also a, a great place to be because you're right there. There's no doubt ever about the impact of what mm -hmm. we're doing because those are our main you know, partners that we're working with. Yeah. Fair trade is definitely a complex, you know, program. And it makes me just hearing, you know, about all that goes into this system, me realize how much I take for granted the simplicity of just buying fair trade. It just means so much more than I think we realize. I think that's the power of this conversation is to look behind the scenes of what it means to buy fair trade. Um, so one thing I'm excited to talk about because I want to learn more myself is your work in capacity building. When we talk about fair trade and tell people about fair trade, we always say, you know, making sure people are paid fairly, there's no child labor, but one of the 10 fair trade principles is that companies must provide capacity building. So meaning that you're helping develop skills and increase the capabilities of employees, which is what, you know, you're focused on. So educate us a little bit more about what that looks like. All right. Well, capacity building is key. I think it's key to help the different actors along our supply chains understand essentially it's how to integrate different components into your business to have a better business because <laughs> mm -hmm. the different components of our program feed into having stronger engagement at farms, stronger supply chains, and all of that leads to better business. So mm -hmm. part of our capacity building is even changing hearts and minds when it comes to why, you know, treating workers right is going to reduce your costs. Oh, because more workers are going to come back. Oh, because they're already trained and my quality is better. All these different things. So we'll, we'll do all, many levels of capacity building. The other thing is that most folks we work with, their primary focus is to produce high quality products. And that's fair. 
that's why we're experts in coming in and supporting and advising and providing our program to help folks integrate what we've learned and engineered into their own operations so they can keep focusing on producing high quality products, but now in a friendlier for workers to have a friendlier environment for all those important pieces to be in place to then lead back up to that business being better and having better outcomes. So that's, that's a big part of what we do. And I guess there's two parts also within our program. Do you have our requirements? We train against that. We build capacity in that understanding. I was mentioning earlier of that in understanding of what the criteria, the intent is of our standards. But besides the requirements, it's also about kind of going above and beyond. So we have folks that enter the program and at first, you know, are more reluctant to do more than just the basics. But as they start to go along and just by doing the basics, they see the benefits and they start to go deeper and deeper into other topics. So we've been building out our capacity uh, building. <laughs> we've been building out our capacity building um, modules further to go deeper and deeper. And by that, I'm saying, you know, instead of just focusing on what is the basic understanding of the standard when it has to do with, you know, no discrimination, no harassment, grievance policies, what ends up happening is it's not just for fair trade, it's for their general operations. Mm -hmm. What does that do? It also reduces, uh, reduces costs, um, increases the safety and the well-being all around. So we'll take certain areas of our, our standard and our program in deep dive for you know, the benefit of folks to keep moving forward and going above and beyond, essentially. I, it is so crucial because it's really about the human side of production, which we don't talk about. You know, with production, we talk about the machines, the costs, the materials, but one of the biggest factors is the human aspect. And so I'll give you an example so there. I went to, yes, it is so important. I agree. One of my first trips going to a farm in Mexico, produce farm, and we're going through the pack house and, you know, the person giving us a tour, we asked them, hey, okay, when someone here in the pack house, you know, cuts their finger, for example, let's say, what's the process? Yeah, of course we got a process. We clean the area, we put bleach, we clean the knife or the tools, and, you know, then we stop production and we do this and that, and the area's clean, and then we can restart it. Okay, great. And what about the person with their cut finger? They go, well, you know, they, they go over and they talk to whoever, yeah. the safety manager, and they put a little curita, a bandaid on, and, and that's fine. Okay, great. So we find that, you know, naturally things come up, people find solutions, but what we're saying is let's take a moment here. You have a, a safety policy that's really focused on your food and that process. Let's add to it and say, when the human gets cut, the human also gets mm -hmm. to go get a Band-Aid to this location. If something else happens, then go here. So the human can know what to do. It's about being able to know what your rights are. In that case, the person looked at us like, oh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of folks are already doing a lot of good things, but are they intentionally doing? Are they calling it out? Those things matter because it adds to that empowerment, the actual mm -hmm. ability for someone to have that agency and own their own path. I got my finger cut. I know what this policy is. I know what can happen. Yeah, like what, how I can. Protected. Yeah, even yeah. like a simple policy like that is yeah. part of having protections yeah. and feeling better in your work environment. And what yeah. does that all do to the business? It creates more loyalty, it creates mm -hmm. people coming back, and it creates shared understanding of the goals of that business yeah. and more of a symbiotic relationship to then workers also call out, hey, actually, if we did this th this way, it would be mm -hmm. easier, faster, cheaper, safer. 
So I imagine you've had to travel a lot, you know, pre-COVID to work with farmers and producers in the field. So I'm curious how COVID has impacted your work. Good point. <laughs> I used to travel 50 to 75% of the time for wow. seven years nonstop. And while, yes, it's tiring, it was also very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I will say very exciting. And, and mainly because you, you get to interact with folks and, and, you know, you're just calibrating on the spot all the time. What, what are the needs? What, what, how can we help? What, what are your realities? Mm -hmm. And just that engagement. I, I love that um, engagement with, with people. So it's beautiful. And plus you can just grow so much more trust. So I have not traveled essentially two years. Yeah, I have not been in a plane for sure. Wow. Two years, right? Well, like everything was closing down February, end of February, 2020. Yeah. And we have definitely had to uh, modify a lot of things with how we do our services and how we work with folks, right? Yeah. And we have not just, you know, oh, we have to pivot and start doing things remotely and through video, but our capacity building, you know, we just talked about that. The topic also changed to help folks better understand the importance of video and telecommunications, whereas many folks that we worked with, especially workers and small producers, perhaps didn't use as much technology in the past or used the more phone instead of video conferencing. And many partners, um, you know, had to adapt and did, and did very well. So that in itself was, you know, an interesting shift. I think a growth, uh, a forced growth in technology yeah. for many people, because you had to, to continue to participate. So that, that was one side. And yes, of course, on our, our own methodologies of providing our services, we have pivoted and we are total remote. That has led us to um, build a product that I'm calling Fair Trade Academy. That's so cool. <laughs> the Fairtrade Academy is our central hub for capacity building of multiple topics, core and the going above and beyond and specializing and maximizing. And it's, it's based on, you know, remote learning, um, you know, having self-serve digestible thing, resources, videos, guides, tools, as well as offering different courses where we have our field advisors uh, presenting all kinds of really important information and working real time with the different students or our producers in the program. So we have different courses that we're providing to producers themselves, to the different implementers or certification managers and farms and factories, as well as the workers themselves. We have been developing some trainings for fair trade committees, as well as the social engagement teams that are really those bodies between management and workers helping to identify issues and find solutions. Whereas that committee is, is really around premium management and developing projects. It's exciting because we're able to kind of organize everything we've been doing in our existence into this product for it to be more user-friendly as well. And to be You're creating a system for the capacity building. <laughs> You're gifting. Exactly. Right there. So I do have to ask a hard question. What are some of the challenges that Fairtrade USA has been facing? Like just in general, what do you think is standing in the way of making the Fairtrade movement the norm? Like where everything that's sold in the supermarket is certified Fairtrade? Yeah, good questions as well. You know, it, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but costs are going to come into play. Yeah. What is happening? I mean, and the industries also vary. You have seafood that has different pricing than produce apparel and home goods, definitely different pricing, coffee, commodity. Pricing is a big part of it. 
in our program, depending on the products, there'll be minimum prices. We have also uh, fair trade premiums. And of course, the producer, it's not even talked about, has to pay for their own costs of compliance, for their own audits. Sure, depending on the supply chain, there's shared you know, expenses, but the cost of sustainable production, that's something, you know, it's, it's been a term as a topic. It's a real thing. Just for producing in general, without being fair trade, most producers lose out money. You know, there's a lot of financing. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of balancing, filling holes and getting funds and here and there because it, it costs a lot to produce and especially good quality. It's a constant battle yeah. to maintain and then have good quality products. And producers are the ones that carry the most of the, that weight. And what ends up happening, of course, and I understand, you know, when one goes to the supermarket, what do we look at? We look at prices, understandable. We look at a lot of things. And what we don't see is that one tomato has 12 to 15 people that have helped grow it, wow. process deliver there's at least a dozen people and wow. behind the dozen people are families hopes dreams expenses yeah. so much that we don't see yeah. and so a lot of times when you look at the actual difference also though of what you're paying as a consumer of that fair trade product versus a non it's not really that much i've heard to pay just a few extra cents more per case and look at this feel yeah. look at this yes we're in yeah. We need more of that because yeah. it's it's about shifting, right? Shifting the percentages, the gaps. And with a program that's engineered to be able to have more equity in those numbers and, hey, let's kick back a little fair trade premiums back down to those workers. And it's doable. It's just the issue that we've been moving into as a society is, you know, cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. And yeah. it makes sense. And many folks also can't afford to choose, you know, hey, quality over actually just getting some mm -hmm. food. And it's very yeah. unfortunate. So there are very few products out there that are not certified fair trade or have some program or another that are clean, let's say. There's invisible people everywhere in all supply chains mm -hmm. and varying degrees of issues that are happening. Mm -hmm. So I invite us all to at least open the door to that and to start yeah. thinking a little differently when we look at things of what is yeah. behind that product because then we can't close the door and it's, it's a learning process. And it's maybe, you know, once in a while, I purchase something fair trade versus nothing. And then maybe a little more. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's also that capacity building of our own selves mm -hmm. and that understanding. I <laughs> mean, just you talking about how at least a dozen hands, I'm sure there's more behind tomatoes and all these produce is mind blowing for, you know, the few cents that we pay and to think that, you know, how that gets distributed. I mean, obviously with fair trade, we're making sure that a fair amount is being distributed back to the farmers who actually make it happen. Yeah. That's interesting. It's easy to just get swept up in the prices. I do that. I go to the grocery store and right. go, okay, this one yeah. versus this one. Okay. Compare, compare. Okay. I'll go with the yeah. cheaper one. Well, it's okay sometimes to, you know, pick yeah. the other one. <laughs> I think I, and I hope that this conversation helps people think beyond the cost and understand, you know, all the people behind that process of getting it to the grocery store. Did you know that Fairtrade LA led the campaign that officially made Los Angeles the largest fair trade city in North America and the fourth largest in the world? We are a nonprofit that exists because of the support from people like you. 
Become a Fairtrail LA monthly donor to ensure this educational content reaches as many people as possible. Go to fairtrailla.org slash donate to pledge your support. Thank you and enjoy the rest of this conversation. Um, I guess the next question that I'm curious about is in your nine years of working with farmers and producers, what are some of the biggest impact you've seen over time? Well, I guess uh, the way I look at it is I say there's, okay, there's multiple types of impact, but at least three buckets that I say of impact. There's impact from compliance with the standard. So there is, you know, friendlier work environments, the ability to continue to progress and even parallel place where everyone starts from. There's also impact from uh, the capacity building, of course, that we talk about and the opportunities to engage in training, to engage in conversations all of that, and then impact from premium projects as well. So the second one, for example, I have talked to some women that are on fair trade committees, uh, specifically one woman that was on a a fair trade committee in Northern Mexico, um, and she was the president. When she was nominated, she almost, you know, like went running and said, oh, no, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. She was very embarrassed, barely even, you know, looked Mm. up, was not used to speaking in public, not used to being, you know, a named leader, let's say, but her community saw her as one, her colleagues saw her as one. And so she accepted. A year later, she was firing a construction manager for one of their projects that wasn't doing the right job and hiring someone else and speaking in front of all of the workers and all right, everybody, let's do this. Let's do some voting. And her children saw that. And she told me, the biggest impact I've had is that my children have seen me speak in front of crowds. They see me empowered. And that makes them empowered. That makes them excited to, you know, go after their dreams. Yeah. Something so simple, generational impact, just from the ability to allow someone to, you know, come out of their own shell. It's little things like that to premium projects that are very big and sexy. You can see them versus, you know, these other little pieces. Um, just so our listeners know, some of them may not understand what premium yes. means because that's, that's another thing that I love about fair trade. So can you tell us a little bit more about what premium means? Of course. So when you see that logo on a product, that means folks are complying with standards and that a few extra cents are going back to those farmers on a small farmers if that's the setting or workers on a large farm so it's a few extra cents that goes to a pot let's say and the beneficiaries are those workers if it's a large farm the large farm owner is not the beneficiary of those funds the workers are if it's a small farm they are as well as the workers on their small farm in their community to be able to use these funds first actually i take it back a fair trade committee must be formed, which um, I was mentioning is this entity that is formed of democratically elected colleagues that are representative of the different areas of work, irrigation, pack house, field, and if, you know percentages of men versus women. You can look at the different demographics of indigenous folks, migrant folks. So the nominees, uh, you know, representative, they get elected. This fair trade committee then helps support in developing and implementing projects created with um, Those funds that come from that purchase that you just Mm -hmm. made with that label on it, guess what? It's going to go to projects that are actually meeting the unique needs of each community. Mm -hmm. 
How does that happen, you'd say? Okay, well, you then, before you've got your committee, well, you can't just spend money and the committee does not decide. All of the workers are the owners of the premium of these extra funds, these community development funds, they're also known as. And a needs assessment is conducted. Hey, Alicia, you, your family, your community, what's the greatest problem, the greatest need you have? Is, is you having difficult times taking your kids to school or, or this or nutrition or health? There's a series of questions and the needs are assessed and you say, okay, out of the majority, where do we start? The general assembly of those beneficiaries decide then the committee does the development and implements, you know? So it's that body that works with the rest of the workers and they are workers themselves. So you did all this process. You ended up analyzing your needs. Before you can actually move it into a project, our capacity building comes in and we help folks understand if you have a need, how do you take that and actually turn it into a project? What is that process? Process is important here. <laughs> we had a group that um, we were working with them. They did their needs assessment and they saw, hey, a lot of our worker community has diabetes. We should do a project for insulin and get some insulin for everybody so that, you know, that there's it's supporting because they were having hard times getting it. We said, okay, we understand. Let's ask you a question here. Why? Does everybody have diabetes? What's happening here? Let's analyze the root cause of this need. Very important step. Once you analyze that root cause, then you can say, okay, what project can we actually create to solve and mitigate that root cause? In this case, they went, they did some focus groups, they studied a little more, and they came back and said, hey, guess what we learned? Uh, yeah, people have a lot of diabetes, but it's because we don't know about nutrition. So they set up classes to prevent diabetes in the future. Mm. They also use some of the premiums to have an agreement with a local clinic for medical care, and then use a small portion to alleviate some support where insulin mm. was needed. But they spent most of their focus on preventing and educating because they dug deep and learned what's the yeah. real issue here. So that's why the, the process is important. Of course, these are farm workers building their own development, their own projects, their own path. And so we're yeah. here to support because their focus is, you know, in production yeah. and other things. But it's amazing to see that the work that the people have done. And so that's one um, example. That's, that's incredible <sighs> to think that when we buy one of those products with Fairtrade logo on it, a portion, you know, premium goes back to help something like solving diabetes in the community. And yeah. educating people about nutrition like that is incredible the power like just I think this conversation is just blowing my mind of how <laughs> much I take for granted of how simple it is to just pick up something that's fair trade and just hearing about the ripple effect that impact you know behind that one decision I am just I'm blown away <laughs> good point good way of putting yeah. it Valentine's Day is coming around mm -hmm. hey guess what fair trade roses you pick mm -hmm. up one of those roses and guess what you are contributing to women not having to be in a river in the high altitudes of Ecuador washing mm. clothes because that's what they used to do. Every They'd work six days a week. The seventh day, they'd have to go wash clothes in the river, high Ecuador, high elevation, so it's cold. Women were getting sick. Um, they were spending the whole day out there, very inefficient, mm -hmm. um, and not able to rest either. 
the environment was also getting contaminated by the, that methodology of washing clothes. And so they got together and they said, wait a second here, let's invest this premium in washing machines. And they got wa a pair of washing machines that's at the farm. So now every single worker can every day or every, I think it's once a week, take all theirs and their family's clothes, drop it off before work. By the time they go home, it's washed, dried, folded. Now on Sundays, women have been able to study, start little businesses. Health has improved. The environment has improved because they did all this work and saw with the purchase of washing machines, holy yeah. guacamole, and you purchase that at STEM, yeah. the, those, uh, that dozen roses, yeah. That's just yeah. one example of many That's more. That's incredible. <laughs> Washing machines for these women simply because people chose to pick up fair trade roses. That is the incredible fair trade impact right there. So as we were getting to know each other, we found out that we've both been to Haiti. So obviously Haiti is a place very dear to my heart. Um, and so Fairtrade USA specifically works with mango farmers and have a few people have told me they've seen Fairtrade mangoes in Whole Foods during certain months of the year. Well, let's end with that story. Tell me a little bit more <laughs> of Haitian mango farmers. Love it. Such a close story to, um, to my heart program. Yes. And, and I loved hearing like, how, how much you, you've worked and how much you love Haiti. So special, so special people um, and place. This program as well. It's a small but mighty program. Haitian mangoes, Francique mangoes. Um, they are special from the way they're har the grown to the way they're harvested to the way they're transported, the way they look. Dear Lord, they're beautiful. <laughs> they have character from the way that they're harvested. Beautiful, beautiful methodologies. There are two people. One person climbs a tree and another person is on the ground. This is what just happened here. And there's a rice sack. You put two sticks in the rice sack and you make a little gurney of sorts. Mm. The person up top picks a mango, throws it down. The person down below catches it. <laughs> Softly puts it to bed upside down on the ground. Well, you know, on a little mat. From that beautiful piece to the to transportation down to the city, it's just amazing how they arrive. And it's just beautiful because the program is comprised of thousands of small producers. And when I say small, I say small. It started out with, you know, folks having one to two trees in their yard and participating in the program. Right now, the exporter put a limit of, okay, three trees per yard. To, you know, also, folks have been able to get more trees as well. So it matches. But, you know, one to three trees in your yard and you can participate. So you have mm -hmm. folks harvesting, the mangoes then get collected, get taken down to an aggregation site by burrow, by buckets, by all kinds of methodologies. And then that aggregation site, they're organized by communities, by neighborhoods. You might have a few of them in one town. Then they, you know, collect those and take them down by truck to the exporter where they, you know, process them and send them off. Um, that organization by community is something that's been really, really beautiful in the program because what happened is that existing groupings of communities were left to be and to work together in their own pods to collaborate together and, and create what this program is where these Mangoes come from really faraway places in Haiti, all the way to your shelf and Whole Foods. And in this program, you know, there's many challenges in Haiti, of course, um, with transportation, 
uh, getting the right resources and such for, for production. And folks are going and going strong. So mm -hmm. capacity building there on the ground has consisted of, you know, a lot of production, not, not us, but uh, the, our partners there on the ground. I'm at the pack house, a lot of production efforts and stuff. We have supported also uh, production, sorry, quality trainings. We've supported with that, you know, fair trade, democratic approach, I guess you could say, to decision-making through our committees. Mm -hmm. And what has happened, it's, it's really nice, where these communities um, not only have come together and created their own committees for fair trade, but they've also created their a system, I guess. They pulled from the fair trade system and now use that for their own community decision-making, which is really nice. And they've created different roles and they share roles and rotate them. So they've used what they learned from fair trade for beyond fair trade. Which is, which is great. I love that fair trade doesn't discriminate against small farmers. You know, no. it's incredible that fair trade specifically wants to work with small farmers and help build cooperatives because I feel like so many systems, it's like, unless you're big and you got a system going, we don't want to work with you. Versus fair trade is creating that system so that small farmers, you know, can participate. And that's incredible. Well, yeah, that's that's how fair trade started, right? Small coffee farmers in Mexico, and over the years, developing to out, not just coffee, different products and different structures. Mm -hmm. So that's where Fair Trade USA has really been innovating a lot lately to make it more accessible with different products and different yeah. impacts, right? Like Haitian mangoes, this wasn't a part of the program before or historically. Yeah. But to finish up with in Haiti, though, real fast, and, and to finish up that other topic we were saying about the premium projects or those projects yeah. made with those community development funds from your purchases yeah. of fair trade products. In Haiti, other examples, simple projects like a staircase in a community. There was a hill. People kept, you know, walking up and down that hill. Mm -hmm. People would get hurt. I think the the feather that tipped it all over was a pregnant woman, you know, fell and got hurt. Mm -hmm. She was okay. They used premium funds to build a staircase into that hill, changed everything. Yeah. Now the whole community is from a simple staircase to larger projects like wells, of course, or other nurseries. That, that Those have been projects to not just have one or two mango trees, but you can have more now as well which all leads to uh, another topic about, you know, deforestation. Deforestation has been heavy, as you know. It's a huge issue in Haiti, yeah. The charcoal market's impressive. Yeah. This program has helped folks plant more trees and want to stay in farming because they see that value. Wow. Which has been great to yeah. see as well. Which yeah. is so important for the future of Haiti. So small uh, but mighty. So uh, between like uh, April and June in your Whole Foods, look for Francie Cation mangoes. They might have some spots here or there, but that's okay. That's part of their character. Uh, and they're so delicious. I speak from experience. Their Haitian mangoes are so delicious. All right, let's end on a hopeful note. Okay. What is your vision or the ideal future for farmers and producers around the world? What would you like to see happen? I was thinking about this recently, and I feel it goes back to that topic of that agency, that empowerment, where everyone along the supply chain can participate fully and can maximize their own role and opportunities in the supply mm -hmm. chain. Yeah. We take ownership, everybody though, in the supply chain and, and allows for the others to have that place as well. I think we can get there in many ways, but education and understanding is a big part of it. I think we can continue to empower and activate every actor along the supply chain. That's it's, why you've got to continue what you're doing. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to do. 
And then on the other hand, it would be also, uh, you know, how do we scale the, these types of programs and just raise the bar in general, you know, mm-hmm. right now, Fairtrade USA with Fairtrade International with anybody else out there in these realms, we're still globally probably less than 1%. Not probably. I know we are. We are the 1%. And so there's much more that we can all do. The future is where we don't need extra programs either. Yeah. Right? Where I don't have a job in this. Exactly. Yeah. We want to work ourselves out of a job. Yes. <laughs> well said. Well said. Well, here's a fun thing. I want to I want to get to know you. What is your favorite fair trade product? I know it's That's hard to choose one. one. I know it's hard. Um, and not to be biased, uh, there's a conversation right now, but I think I'll give you two. Okay. They're, with, they're within produce. The short seasoned one, not available all the time, Francique Mangoes. They're spectacular. And for every day, fair trade bananas. They're the best. Try a non-fair trade banana. It really, mm. there's a difference. Yeah. The best. You could taste the quality difference. <laughs> like you said, I can taste the quality. Like once I've tasted fair trade coffee, I just can't go back to regular coffee. I can taste the difference. Oh, that's wonderful. I don't drink coffee, so I believe you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I like that we've expanded and the, the movement has expanded the way it has because everybody eats some kind of food, you know, a banana or a bell pepper or this or that or a chocolate. Maybe not everybody drinks coffee. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Coffee and chocolate. Excellent. I'm going to end with this question. We're going to ask every speaker that comes to our podcast to end with a clear action step. So what is the one simple step that our listeners can do after listening to this to help create a more equitable, fair world for our farmers and producers? I think we already said it. It's buy fair trade. More consumer demand. More retailers want to satisfy it and more they're going to ask for suppliers to get fair trade and offer it. So here's a challenge. Every time you go to the store, supermarket, try to buy at least one item as fair trade. For those already doing that, here's a mega challenge. Try to buy at least one item in a few categories. Coffee, Mm -hmm. chocolate, produce, clothing, underwear, for example, that exists Mm -hmm. as well. So we all have a part because every purchase matters so good so good it's so simple and i hope that after listening to this conversation people will realize you know the ripple effect behind that one simple step so thank you so much for educating us and sharing your knowledge i am so thankful to have this conversation with you oh thank you for letting me talk about a passion of mine thank you so much <laughs> incredible conversation thank you yeah and thank you for what you're doing as well you know with fair trade um, campaigns and um, this podcast I'm really excited that there are more ways for folks to understand and, and to get that voice out there i want to thank the creative team behind the fair talks podcast our executive producer juliette bucquerel our editor paula park and our marketing team, Jasmine French, Elena Alcero, and Lizzie Case. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fair Talks podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community and sharing the fair trade message. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fair Trade USA, for making this possible. Now, are you ready to create change? The next time you're out shopping, just pick up one fair trade item to buy, like coffee, chocolate, or bananas, and make a difference. Ask your office, church, business, school, or your family to shop more fair.
If you have any questions or want to learn more, head over to fairtradela.org podcast for show notes, discount codes, and additional resources. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And follow us on social media at FairTradeLA to join our amazing community of fair trade lovers. Tune into our next Fair Talks conversation to hear more life-changing stories. Thanks for listening.